Luke 18, verse 31. And taking the twelve, he, that's Jesus, said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The same was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Well, that is a sobering Bible reading, is it not? For a sobering occasion, like Remembrance Sunday. This is a big day in the calendar for our cult- country as we remember all those who gave their lives in the two world wars, fighting for the freedoms that we enjoy today. And so it's right to honor the sacrifices of all those who fought then and to stand alongside those who still remember painfully those air-shattering wars and the consequences of them. Or those who are still raw with the consequences of conflicts in the more recent past. I sometimes wonder, actually, if the reality of what we remember today to most of us seems just a bit more distant now. And we maybe wonder, well, what's it actually got to do with us today? What difference does it make to our lives, the sacrifices that were made then? Folks, it can be all so easy, can't it, to take for granted the relative peace and freedom we live in today that was so hard won by so many, at such great cost back then. And so I think it's highly appropriate that we move on to this next chunk of Luke's gospel this morning, isn't it? In this series we're doing, The King and the Kingdom, we find ourselves confronted with another great act of sacrifice in history that can be so easy to underestimate the significance of. In Luke 19, we find that Jesus is on a collision course with the cross to die there and rise again three days later in order to win us an even greater peace and freedom. So I've got two simple questions for us before we dive into this passage to get us ready to dive into this short passage. One, how much does it matter to you that Jesus died on the cross? And two, how much difference does it make to your life that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day? I guess there's a kind of scale there, isn't there, from kind of, well, absolutely irrelevant to absolutely crucial. I wonder where you'd put yourself on that scale. I'm not not asking you to think about that theoretically, but but functionally, day to day, what difference do those two things make to your life? That Jesus died and he rose again. I don't know if you know uh, this game, Kaplunk. Um, Anybody ever played uh, Kaplunk? Um, I'm I'm, I'm basically making the assumption that you've you've either played it or at least you you know about it. You know, you've got this tower and you've got to put all these little sticks through it. um, And then you dump a whole load of marbles on top of the sticks. 
Um, and then you pull out the sticks one by one, and the aim of the game is to do so without letting any of the marbles fall. It's a ridiculous game because it takes about six times as long to actually set up as to play. <laughs> uh, but the reality of the game is actually that even though there's lots and lots of these sticks, only a handful of them are crucial. There's only really two or three of them that are holding up the bulk of the marbles, stopping them. And if you pull those ones, the marbles are going to fall down. And my guess is that our lives are actually a little bit like that. There are these loads and loads of sticks, loads and loads of things going on in our lives. Um, but there's actually some really crucial ones that if you pull them out, we'll lose our marbles. It's probably different things for each one of us. It could be a relationship or your children, your job or financial security. Maybe it's your health or reputation. Lose that and everything falls apart. But what I want to show you this morning is that the death and resurrection must be the two crucial sticks, the two crucial planks that are foundational for your life. So that even if some of those other sticks are pulled out, we may be shaken, but we won't fall because Jesus died and he rose again. So keep uh, that passage uh, from Luke 18 open in front of you or reopen it if you've uh, closed it. And let me give you three reasons why you can build a shake-proof faith, uh, sorry, a shake-proof life on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Here's the first. It's because God planned it. God planned for this to happen. Let's have a look at uh, Luke 18, verse 31. <clears throat> it says there, and taking the 12... Jesus said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So just picture yourself for a minute on a hill outside Jerusalem witnessing the death of Jesus that first Good Friday. He is hung up on a cross, held in place by nails in his hands and in his feet. A crown of thorns mockingly thrust upon his head, along with the, the sign above him saying, King of the Jews. What do you see? Do you picture him hanging there? Tragedy? An accident? A brilliant young life cut short by a, a terrible miscarriage of justice as the best man you have ever known goes to his death on trumped-up charges? Well, no. No. <laughs> Here, as Jesus gathers his disciples together for a private briefing, he makes it clear that God has always planned for this to happen. Do you see that there in verse 31? See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. You see, the cross was not some tragic accident. It had been planned by God quite some time before. Jesus knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem because he's read it in the Old Testament. Which might make you wonder, well, where? Where in the Old Testament do we see the events of Jesus' death and resurrection? Well, if I had more time, I'd love to quote to you what the New Testament writers did as, as they wrote and, and quote um, Psalm 2 and 8 and 10 and 16 and 22 and 40 and 110 and parts of Isaiah and Joel, and Hosea, and Job, and Lamentations, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. I could go on. 
But as you read those bits of the Bible, it's, it's uncanny how the events of Jesus' death and resurrection jump out at you. So much so that some have tried to suggest that they were written after the events rather than hundreds of years before. But you see, as Judas betrays and sells his friend for money, as Jesus is arrested and dragged before the authorities and beaten and, uh, and hung up on a cross, God the Father is not whispering into his earphones, we've got a code red. I repeat, we've got a code red. Go to, go to plan B or C or, or D or Z or whatever plan we're on now. No, the whole thing is not unraveling. It's been planned from the very beginning. All the way through the Old Testament, the number one thing on God's to-do list is Jesus' death and resurrection. And folks, I find that massively encouraging when the things in my life are unraveling, as the support sticks, if you like, are being pulled out, as my work situation becomes turbulent and, and uncertain and a, and a bit unbearable, as a relationship goes stale and sour, and I, I wonder if it's even repairable. As I hear that diagnosis that might threaten my life or, or the life of a loved one, Wherever there is darkness, there is hope. Because we may be taken by surprise, but God is never. God has a plan. And so certain was he of its goodness and its success. That even on the darkest of days, the, the darkest day in history, when his son was being stretched out, dying on a cross, he didn't panic. He knew this day would come. And so neither should we panic. Instead, we should call out to him, cry out to him, put our hand in his and walk with him. For God is in total control of whatever is going on in your life and mine, even now. which point you might find yourself wanting to shout out to me, okay, I don't find that encouraging. I find all this disturbing, to be frank. <laughs> Uh, that God would let us go through suffering. And not, and not only that, he would let his son go through it too. <laughs> How could God send his son to the cross? It's barbaric. But notice not only what Jesus says here in Luke 18, but how he says it. I mean, he doesn't sound like he's being forced to go, like a reluctant teenager being told to clean up his bedroom. <laughs> He's actually in on the plan. Uh, secondly, Jesus predicted it. In fact, if you look at the uh, little heading in the Bibles in, in bold there, what, what, is it, what does it say there? Jesus foretells his death a third time. As twice already here in Luke's gospel, he's taken his disciples aside to tell them something along the lines of what we're reading in verses 32 and 33. He's going to be delivered over to Gentiles, mocked, shamefully treated, spat upon, flogged, killed, and on the third day will rise. Three times an explicit prediction. And in fact, if we, if we went for the implicit ones, the, the, the hints Jesus has dropped through Luke's gospel so far, this would be the seventh or eighth time. But you know something is important when it keeps getting on repeated, don't you? We've just started 
leaving Lucy uh, alone in the house recently for the first time. So as, as nervous parents, I'm aware of stranger danger. We've been, we've been drilling her on, don't answer the door. Lucy, Lucy, whatever, don't matter what happens, don't answer the door. Lucy, you've got that, haven't you? Don't answer the door. Or when we're out for a family walk, I am just sick of the sound of my own voice. By the end of the walk, I'm sick of the sound of my own voice. Uh, going, Jamie, Jamie, get down from there. J- Jamie, j- no, stay away from that. J- Jamie, no, come away from the edge of that massive drop down the cliff. Because Jamie, Jamie just, he's like a magnet for danger. I'm constantly trying to keep him away from it. But you see, repetition emphasizes how important something is. Especially when it's life-saving, potentially life-saving, like with Jamie. And, and so, so here, actually, Jesus, in the same way, he's saying, this, this is so important, folks. You've got to get this. This is who I am. This is why I came. To suffer and die. And on the third day, rise. And that begs the question, why is this so important? Why? Does Jesus say these two planks are so, so crucial for us? Folks, let me answer that question. Well, as Jesus often did with another question. It's a question Jesus actually answered, asked his disciples on one of those other occasions where he's, he's told them what's coming. He's let them in on the plan. Here it is. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? I think there's four, four key things there that will unlock for us why Jesus had to die and rise again. The first is, you have a soul. We spend so much time, don't we, on our nourishing and, 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 and satisfying our bodies and our minds, don't we? Uh, but we so, we, we so neglect the soul. We're not highly evolved animals with just minds and, and bodies. No, unlike animals, when God made us, he, he, he took us and he breathed his life into us so that we now have an eternal soul. And secondly, your soul is valuable. What can a person give in exchange for their soul? What's the answer to that? Nothing. Even if you had all the money in the world, you can't, you can't go to Asda and buy a soul. You can't, not even on Amazon can you get a soul. And, and folks, we know that, don't we? Because when someone dies, even the richest person in the world doesn't have enough money to bring their soul back from the grave. Thirdly, your soul can be lost. Just before this question, Jesus asked another one. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The human soul can be lost. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus teaches very honestly and bluntly about the reality of hell. And he does that not to frighten us, but just because he loves us too much not to, not to warn us. Jesus says this soul, which is so, so valuable, can be lost for eternity. The most successful human being who lives on this planet is only one heartbeat from being lost forever. One heartbeat. We assume we'll be okay, but we are not okay. So hear the question again. 
what are you going to give? One day you and I are going to meet the God who made us. What are you going to give him to save your soul? Whatever it is, it's not nearly enough. And that is why Jesus had to die. And so here's the last thing, why Jesus' death matters. It's because Jesus exchanged his life for your soul. Jesus explains this most clearly, I think, in Mark 10, verse 45. It's one of the most crucial verses, I think, in the Gospels. And it, it says this, it says, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for men, many. Folks, there is no amount of money you could pay to buy your soul for eternity. <laughs> but Jesus is saying here, I will pay. Jesus says, I must die because that is the payment that sets your soul free. You have a soul. Your soul is valuable. Your soul could be lost. But Jesus came to pay for your soul. Jesus came to buy your soul out of hell. And, and folks, it does not get much more fundamental than that. And so, do you see, this is why Jesus is so fixated on going to Jerusalem, on following the plan to suffer, to die, to rise again. That's why he came. And it's why he says, these must be the planks, they've got to be the foundations of your life every day. But thirdly, the disciples didn't get it, did they? They really just didn't get it. Jesus couldn't have been clearer about the plan, but the disciples couldn't have been foggier. Luke labors the point of verse 34. Three times he tells us that the penny just has not dropped, you see? But they understood none of these things. Ding, one. This was hidden from them. Two, and they did not grasp what was said. Three. How can that be? Well, I think they're a bit like my family when we went on holiday to the Costa del Sol last week. And it rained pretty much solidly for the first two days. And we were like going, oh, this isn't what we ordered. You know, we expected to see the sol on the Costa del Sol. You know, can't even see the Costa because there's no sol. Um, it would have been better if we'd, if we'd wanted the Costa del Rain. Obviously, we would have stayed in Newcastle. Or better still, Glasgow. Don't know if you've ever been to Glasgow, folks, but basically in Glasgow, there's, yeah, there's only two weather conditions, aren't there, in Glasgow. It's either raining or about to rain. I mean, every day it rains in Glasgow. But you don't expect that from the, from the south of Spain. And when Jesus says to his disciples, verse 31, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that's written about the Son of Man, by the prophets, by the prophets will be accomplished. The very next thing that they expected to come out of his mouth was Sunshine, not rain. <laughs> Glory, not death and suffering. For as soon as Jesus used that title, the Son of Man, about himself, as he frequently does in the Gospels, it conjured up the image, well, an image seen by one of the prophets, Daniel. Daniel 7. Daniel sees one like a Son of Man who would come and take glory and honor and eternal rule from God. So, if Jesus is this eternal ruler, it makes no sense what he's saying here in Luke 18. I mean, how can he rule forever 
if he was dead. The disciples are blinded by their expectations, deafened and defeated by what they thought they knew. And so they balked at the very idea of the cross. And they didn't spot the resurrection. And folks, I think we can be like that too. Because we fail to see that there are two planks here in Luke 18. We see the suffering and death of the, the cross. And, and we're often we're appalled by it. But what about the on the third day he will rise bit? And so in our lives we balk at the cross because we lose sight of the resurrection promised beyond it. We find it hard to trust in a savior who this side of eternity, in the world's eyes, looks like a loser. And we struggle to follow in his footsteps and say to our father, not my will, but yours be done. Afraid of where that might lead us and the cost that might be involved. But don't you see? Beyond it, beyond the suffering, the sacrifice, the glory. I mean, how could Jesus walk the path of obedience and suffer and die on the cross on the first day? Because he knew the third day was coming. He knows that glory is ahead. He's not some martyr on his way to the cross, having a pity party. Oh, poor old me. Why do I have to end like this? No, he knows The way to true joy is not to grasp, but to give. The the way to be full is to empty yourself for others. The only way up, ironically actually, is, is to humble yourself and go down. For the way to glory is through the cross. And so folks, every time you find yourself thinking that following Jesus looks too difficult, too Trusting trusting God looks too painful. I want you to know the resurrection is coming. You live for Christ in all its cultural difficulty because one day Jesus says you too will be raised. Some of us right now, we're living in the first day, aren't we? And it's painful and it hurts. And you need to hear that the third day is coming. I know it hurts, and I know that there are days in which we cry and we feel like we don't know how we can do this. It's, it's too painful. It's too hard. But let Jesus lift your head this morning and remind you that the third day is coming. This is day one. Hang on in day one, because resurrection is coming. Jesus went through the cross, and this is how he did it. And this is also how Jesus takes you through your suffering, whatever it is, to resurrection. We build our lives, folks, on these two earth-shattering facts. That Jesus died, but that he also rose again. So why don't we pray together and then we can sing and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you that we have a king who died for us and we have a king who on the third day rose again.
And Father, we thank you this morning that these two great truths can give us a joyful life of following Jesus, even through the difficulties of life. Father, help us to place all of our trust in him so that whatever sticks may be pulled out of our lives, the death and resurrection of Jesus would hold everything in place. Oh, Father, we love, we trust, we worship our King Jesus. Help us to do that more and more by your Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen.